Well, thanks for being online with us live at Grace Community Church. We're glad you're with us. All three campuses tuning in, thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, it's a little different, and uh, we pray that all of you are well. And as a matter of fact, I would like to start off with prayer. I was uh, watching one of the updates that the president and his team were giving yesterday, and I noticed he asked us to pray for something. And so right now, I'd like to, all of us to turn our hearts in prayer. Father God in heaven, we uh, pray for our national leaders, President Trump, Vice President Pence, and uh, other national leaders, local officials, as they make tough decisions about what to do in the midst of this pandemic. Father, we pray that uh, you would give them wisdom. And Lord, uh, our president asks that, that maybe we pray for uh, some of the existing drugs, that they would be found to be helpful and so, Lord, we pray for that. We know you can do anything. And, Lord, we ask you to, to protect us, protect our church, our community, our country. And, Father, especially those who are the most at risk. And, Father, help us as your people to reach out and to make a difference in our world today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, thanks for being with us at Grace in the last few days. Um, just yesterday, and I think this morning, six states have now closed all, um, all businesses except for essential services. So things are, are happening rapidly. And, and it just reminds us, which we should always remember, that we live in an uncertain world. Uh, we never know exactly what's going to happen. Someone said, just as trees and grass grow from the same soil, fear and faith both grow can both grow from uncertainty. And here's, uh, I want to share a story with you this morning, how one of our own has faced um, uncertainty, and I, I want you to hear her story. Hi, my name is Lynn Sawyer. Uh, I was born in July of 1967 and grew up in a wonderful Christian home. When I was five years old, I attended a Good News Club at Mrs. Mazur's home, our neighbor, and she talked about the good news of Jesus and salvation, and I realized at that point that I didn't know for sure that I was going to heaven. I asked Jesus to come into my heart, forgive me my sins, and from that moment on, I knew that I was promised a home in heaven. Through all my careers and ministries, as I go through my adult life, I've been able to see God's hand in all of it, and. I think back to all the twists and turns that happen in adult life, and I'm just so thankful that through all of those times and the times I fail him, he doesn't give up on me, and he consistently is there guiding me so that I don't fall too far from his will, and that is such a great promise to me, especially in my older years, knowing that I can't get too far away from him. In early 2017, I had started not feeling very well. And I had gone to several doctors who had tried to figure out what was wrong, and nobody could do that. So finally ended up back at my family doctor, who ran some tests. And on March 1st of that year, I was sitting across from her, and she finally had to tell me that my diagnosis was ovarian stage 3C cancer. Two weeks later, I found myself at Cleveland Clinic having major surgery. They had to remove 15 malignant tumors, as well as do a full hysterectomy. They removed my appendix spleen and some of my bowel. And I remember later laying in my hospital room and seeing my family all around me, they were all asleep. It was at that time that I could sense God's complete peace in my heart. And it was also that time that he reminded me he is not surprised and he had me. When I was at home recovering from surgery, 
I would lay in my bed and I would rest and I would rest in God's peace. And then all of a sudden I would realize that I'm having these feelings that were sad and afraid. And I would see my kids and I would just think, I don't want to leave them and I'm not ready to do that. And that was very hard for me to process as I went through it all. But it was also through that that I realized God wants me to see that me just getting up and saying to people, I have faith, is very different than me demonstrating it, especially during this devastating time in my life. And I'm so thankful that I was able to go through that process of 18 weeks of hard chemo that would make me realize faith is not faith until it's demonstrated. September 5th, 2017, we were given the amazing news that my scan came back clear. And we had a great time of rejoicing and seeing what God had done in my life and in my healing. I told God that I would not turn down an opportunity he brought my way. So I was able to speak at some ladies functions. I wrote two books all regarding my journey mm -hmm. and anything else that came around. And I realized through that, that it's just so humbling to be able to share God's story through my journey and it's really about him and it's really his story anyway not mine so last summer on june 12th we were told that cancer had returned and this time in my lymph nodes this pushed me to stage four and now i know that i'm going to have to have chemo for the rest of my life in some form and as hard and as difficult as this has been i've also been able to see more and more that god's plan is to be able to show me even through my brokenness that he's really here to restore my relationship with him. And I've seen that time and time again. And this church and the prayers that come from you have really gotten me to where I am now. And I have a class on Wednesday nights, even in the times when I physically can't get to class. They Facebook me live and link me in, and I feel like I'm still a big part of that. And I can't say what an encouragement that has been to me. And I really feel like it's a big part of why I am where I am right now. I have learned, especially through this season of my life, to find joy, even in the darkest days, and to really find joy versus happiness, because there's a big difference. And in that joy, God has shown me that no matter if he heals when I think it's his time or not, God is God. And he has shown me that I need to lean on his hope and not my own. And I've learned to live each day as an extra day, because it is. And in those extra days, live out a passage that has really come to mean a lot to me, Hebrews 6, verses 18 and 19, which God tells us that we can rely on two things that aren't going to change. And one is that he is not going to lie. And he is our hope. And we need to find encouragement in that hope and know that our hope is an anchor that is both sure and steadfast. Many of you in our church family have been praying for Lynn as I have. And we can, we can see how God used this tragic situation in her life to draw her closer to him. And we can see how in her life she's moved beyond fear to actually having joy in Christ. And uh, maybe the most common command in scripture is for us, do not fear. And uh, usually our fears are about what might happen, what could happen. And if you struggle with fear, you're not alone. Um, it, it happens it's, to a lot of people. I mean, it strikes the, the powerful and the weak, the rich, and the poor, the young, and the old. And fear is broader than we think. It includes worry, anxiety, dread, alarm, distress, 
apprehensiveness. And today, especially, uh, people are worried about the coronavirus and, and, and the fallout from that, their health, the health of people that they love. And, and if you're not particularly concerned about COVID-19, um, maybe you're concerned about uh, your finances being wrecked. I mean, if, uh, if you're watching the stock market, maybe you're, maybe you're concerned that your 401k is about 400k short this week, you know, is kind of the way things have been going. And, and we just want you to know uh, that, that a lot of people have fears and it's, it's a natural thing. I, I know some of you guys, you know, we have guys going, nah, I don't, I don't fear anything, everything's good, uh, you know, just let it come, whatever. And some of you guys, the thought of being a week in your home, isolated with no sports and no March Madness, that's terrifying to you. So no matter what it is, no matter why, uh, a lot of us uh, can experience fear at different times in their lives and especially now. In our country now, most people are afraid of something, whether it's COVID-19 or the disruptions that it's causing. So first of all, it's natural to fear. When we fear, we get desperate for the what when we should be desperate for the who, and I'm gonna explain that. When, when faced with sickness or even death, or, or worse than that, uh, usually our biggest concern is the death of a loved one or even a, a spouse or a child. That's scary stuff. And I want you to know that Jesus interacted with people with this kind of fear several times during his earthly ministry. And that's what I want to focus on today is, is one of those events in Jesus's life. And it comes from John chapter four, John chapter four. And this is a, at the end of chapter four is about a father who's desperate to save his dying son. And so he approaches Jesus. And, and as, as we get ready to focus on that, I just want to set the context for you a little bit. At this time in Jesus's ministry, he's been in Jerusalem. He had been uh, at the feast there. And now he's moving from Jerusalem, Judea, up to Galilee. In order to do that, he goes through Samaria. That's where he ran into the woman at the well. And remember how that story went. She uh, talks to Jesus and then she convinces it becomes convinced that maybe he's actually the Messiah. She goes and challenges her whole city. The town comes out and then they ask him to stay for two days. And he does that. And by the way, at the end of that two days, uh, they come to believe that Jesus is indeed the savior of the world. And now we're gonna pick it up in John 4, beginning with verse 43. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Now, I don't know if you caught that, if you want to pause right there. But two things are happening here, and it seems to contradict. Jesus points out that a prophet has no honor in his own area, but then he goes to his own area and they receive him, they welcome him. And it seems like a contradiction, but if there, 
if, if they're not honoring them, then why are they receiving him? Why are they welcoming him home? And it's because they had been to the feast that Jesus was at and they had seen him do miracles in Jerusalem. And so now uh, they're, they're pumped about him coming back and they welcome him for what he did, but not actually for who he is. Remember, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. And the whole time of, of, of his growing up years, he never did a miracle. Scripture explains that he didn't because his time had not yet come. Well, now Jesus had been in Jerusalem and a lot of them from his hometown had been in Jerusalem. They saw him doing amazing things. Now he's heading home and now they're all celebrating because this is the hometown guy that's hit the big time. I mean, now he's becoming famous and, and he sort of belongs to them and they're excited about him being home. They want to see miracles at home. And they're glad that he's there, but they're not ready to receive him as the Messiah. And because of that, they're missing the bigger picture. They're missing the whole point of the miracles that Jesus had done. Now let's pick it up in the next verse, verse 46. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. So here's the situation to set all this up. And maybe this is one of the hardest things to face in life. When your child is sick or in danger of dying. I think that's, that's the hardest thing for a parent to face maybe losing their child. Watching your child suffer. And the father's desperate. And he's fearful. But when fearful, if we desperately seek the what, we get frantic. When we desperately seek the what, we get frantic. The, this guy is rich and connected, but he's frantic because with, with all his wealth, all his connections, he can't do anything for his son. So he hears about Jesus and what Jesus has done so he goes to, to seek him out for the what, for what Jesus could do. And we see this happening today. Uh, that's why when, when we go to the stores, shelves are wiped out. Uh, people are, are loading up on stuff. And, and because they're desperately seeking the what, they get frantic. They try to think of, you know, what will we need? How many weeks will we be shut in? What do we need for those things? It's kind of a natural thing. That's how people are responding. We see it all the time. And the man here seeks out Jesus because he's heard that Jesus can heal. Next verse, verse 47. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Stop right there. Jesus gives this man a really unusual response. He's coming, asking for a healing for his son. He's, he's desperate, he's worried. And then Jesus responds in an unusual way. He corrects the official and the crowd for not seeing something deeper in Jesus's ministry. And 
he's correcting them because they're not connecting the dots. What's happening is people are coming to Jesus because Jesus' miracles could fix their immediate problems. But John, all through his book, keeps reminding us that these miracles are signs. They're not just miracles to do miracles, not just a temporary fix. These miracles are signs that are actually proving that Jesus is who he claims to be, that he is the Messiah, and even more than that, that he's the Son of God. You see, they wanted the what. They wanted the fix. But the whole point of the miracles was the who. Now, the what for this guy was a miracle, that his son's life would be spared, that, that he would be healed. And for us, the what may be safety or health or protection for those that we love. But the whole point of what Jesus was doing was to point people to come to him for a greater reason. Their focus was on the miracles. They welcomed him for the sensational. He could solve temporary problems. But Jesus actually came to solve an eternal problem that we have. Now, after Jesus responded to the man, of most people today, if they would have heard somebody respond to him like that, they probably would have stormed off, offended. But the official doesn't seem offended. After that response of Jesus, he just begs Jesus to save his son before he dies. Next verse, 49. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. So Jesus kind of turns the tables here on him. He's asking Jesus to do something, to come to his home in Capernaum so he can heal his son. Jesus turns the table and said, no, I want you to do something. Go, your son's okay now, go home. And the official here has nothing but Jesus's word. He has no evidence he has to go home. Capernaum's at least a day's journey away. And so he has to head home to find out. But he does it. And I'm sure people in the crowd were saying, yeah, right. Go home. He's healed. Sure he is. I'll believe that when I see it. But for this man, somehow Jesus' word is enough. And he heads home. Next verse, 51. As he was going down, this down to Capernaum, which is on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. His slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So, do you get what's happening? He's on his way home. He couldn't make it there in one, one day before dark. And so, as he's journeying home the next day, his servants are coming the other way to tell him the good news that his son is okay. Now, but the man doesn't know for sure if this is just a coincidence if Jesus is just a prophet and he knows the future, or Jesus has done something unprecedented that has a whole bunch of implications that he actually healed his son long distance. And so that brings us to the next thing. So he's trying to figure this out. And here's the deal. When we face fear, we don't want to seek the what and get frantic. Rather, if we desperately seek the who, we get faith. Look at the next verse, verse 52. So he inquired of them 
the hour. So he's asking his servants. He inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever, fever left him. That's seven hours at sunrise. That's one o'clock in the afternoon. Verse 53. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is what Jesus was helping the man see all along. This was the whole point. And notice here, do you see it? The greatest miracle here is not that this son is healed long distance, which is unprecedented. The greatest miracle here is, and then that son goes on to live another 50 or so years. The greatest miracle here is that the official and the son and the entire household, they come to believe in Christ and they're saved for an eternity. That's the greater miracle that's happening. And so we go back and we look at the story and we see that, hey, Jesus's original answer, it sounded kind of harsh. Heal my son. Unless you people, you know, you're looking at these signs and wonders. Sounded kind of harsh, but Jesus's response is always one of love, even when we think it's harsh. Through this whole interaction, Jesus is helping this man with something more than just the healing of his son. Through the whole story, Jesus is helping this man. He's engaging him. He's drawing him out. He's helping this man see beyond a miracle to see who Jesus really is. And Jesus is asking the man to come to him on his own terms, Jesus's terms. Here's how this guy wanted to do it. No, Jesus says it's going to happen this way. And he did that twice, really. First, by putting him off, unless you see signs. You're after what I can do. You're not after me, Jesus said at the beginning. And then secondly, he says, go, trust me. Your son's okay. It, but if that's true, that would be God-type power. But the man believes. I'm, I'm sure that was a long walk. When he headed out, not knowing that much about Jesus, but taking Jesus at his word, but waiting to see if that had really happened. It was a tough test. And we see the progression in this man's life. Jesus is bringing him from intellectual assent, hey, I've heard Jesus could do this, so I'm going to ask, to a deeper trust. Jesus has moved him, like he needs to move many of you. Jesus has moved him from mere rational belief that it's possible to a personal trust in Jesus as Savior. He moved from believing about Jesus to believing with life-giving faith. And this is key. And this is what a lot of people miss in our culture. There was a, there was a man in history, a famous a tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. And he crossed... Uh, Niagara Falls several times. In 1859, he crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he was famous. He was a great showman. Uh, huge crowds would line up on the banks to watch him do this. 25,000 to 100,000 people at a time. One time he, he walked across the tightrope and he got to the middle and he actually sat down, cooked an omelet and ate it. 
on the middle, on the middle of crossing. Another time, he took a chair with him. He balanced that chair on, with, with one of its legs on the tightrope. And then he climbed up and stood on the chair. I mean, the guy was just, he was phenomenal. He was amazing. One time, he crossed with his manager on his back. Another time, he crossed pushing a wheelbarrow. I don't know if you've ever done a wheelbarrow with a heavy load, had 200 pounds in it, pushed the wheelbarrow across. When he got to the other side, everybody was just screaming their approval. And then he said, do you think I could do it again? And the crowd shouted, yes, we know you can do it again. He said, who will get into the wheelbarrow? And the crowd was silent. They all believed that he could do it. But they weren't willing to trust their life with him. That's the difference between belief and saving faith. Have you moved from believing Christianity is reasonable or believing that it's reasonable to believe that Jesus maybe even is God? Have you moved from that to trusting him? with your life? That's the most important question that you'll ever answer. That's the kind of faith or belief that we need to not only have, but live out as believers. We fear sickness, death, or worse, death of somebody that we love, and we fear that kind of suffering. But know this, Christianity is the only religion in the world that has a God who suffered, who's no stranger to suffering, a God who suffered for you. Our father's son suffered so that the son of the official and his entire family could be saved for eternity, and it's the same for us. The father gave his son to save you and me if we'll truly believe and truly trust him with our entire life. When we focus on the who and turn our lives over to Jesus, we don't have to fear because he, we know that he's ultimately in control. Beyond that, we know that as his children, God will never bring anything into our lives that, weren't, that will not work out for our benefit as we serve and follow him. Faith, our faith, matures in trouble. We need to remember that. And when we pray, instead of only pleading for deliverance, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, that's, that's okay, but we might also want to wisely ask God about the purpose of our suffering. Something like this, God, how can I grow through this situation? How can I grow closer to you? How can I grow stronger in my faith? It's interesting because as you read the gospel of John, the book of John, all through there, John, one of Jesus' disciples, keeps pointing out that people can believe, they can even believe in Jesus with an inadequate faith, just an intellectual type of assent 
The crowd saw the miracles. They believed Jesus did them, but they did not follow that fact logically to embrace Jesus as the Savior of the world, the, the very Son of God. And what about today? We're faced with uncertainty. Uh, this pandemic that's spreading. And, and I think one thing that's happening is that this, it, it's maybe helping people at least consider their own mortality, which we should be aware of all the time, that we don't live forever. And life is short, whether we live another 20, 30, 50 years, or maybe just another month. Life is short. And we should be thinking about what happens when this life is over. And that's actually exactly why Jesus came. That was the whole point of all the miracles that he did is to show people who he was. Here's what I'm saying. You can think good about Jesus. You can even believe that Jesus can help you. That's not saving faith. Come to Jesus on his own terms. And his terms are that we put our faith, our trust in him alone for our salvation. And if we actually do that, it will change our lives. We will want to live for him. We will have that desire. The main message of the Bible, it all just boils down to this. God created us. He created us with this amazing gift of free will that we could choose to love God back or not. And all of us as human beings, we violated that free will. We've misused it to rebel against our creator. But God still loves. And even though as we've rebelled, we've all committed sins against him. And because God is just, perfectly just, and that's exactly how we want God to be, just, because we want justice, Justice demands, justice from God demands that our sin, that it's punished. That our sins be punished. And the punishment is worse than we think because we're sinning against a perfect creator. But God came up with a way where he can offer us forgiveness without violating his own sense of judgment and his own sense of justice. And the way that happened was the, he allowed his one and only son to come, live this on this earth, walk this earth without committing a sin. He did miracles so people would see him for who he is. But ultimately, he came to die on the cross in payment of our sin. He came to die on the cross to pay for my sins and your sins. But the only way we get that accredited to our account is if we come to him on his terms. And his terms are that we believe, that we put our faith in him, that we call out to him in faith, asking for forgiveness and also wanting him to come into our heart and help us to live a life that honors him, that we would follow him. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to respond to God on his terms?
If you are, if, you, if you're not sure you've ever done that, place your faith in Christ and Christ alone. You can do that today. And if you're ready, if you're saying, hey, Kevin, I'm trusting in Christ. Well, it's appropriate for you to, to express some things to God, to call out to him. And right now, I'd like everyone, wherever you're at at home, to just bow your head. I know it's a little different. Uh, if you're in your living room or just wherever you're at, bow your heads right now. And I would like you to be praying right now if you're a believer. And if you're not sure you're a believer and you're ready to trust, I want you to pray too. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, just a way for you to express your newfound faith in God. And so I would like you right now, silently or out loud or however you wanna do it, to pray something like this in your own words. Father God in heaven, I admit, I, I know that I have sinned against you. And I know that that sin deserves punishment and the punishment that that deserves is separation from you forever. But God, I also understand that you love me, that you know me better than anyone and you love me and you've made a way. And God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for Jesus. And right now, I'm putting my trust, my faith, my belief in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation because I have nothing to offer. And God, I ask you to come into my life and help me to live in a way that honors you. In Christ's name, amen.